Verse 29, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Is that not like shocking to you? That's, that's shocking. Okay, uh, we go on. Uh, verse 31, furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that every, uh, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. <clears throat> verse 40, and if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, uh, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow uh, from you, do not turn away. Go the extra mile? Uh, now, uh, 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 a Bible exposer by the name of France said this, The Jews fiercely resented such impositions, and Jesus' choice of this example deliberately disassociates him from militant nationalists. <laughs> That's what they wanted, was a militant nationalist. And Jesus says, no, you know what, if the Roman soldier who had by law could ask you to go one mile with him, uh, you know, if he asked you to go a mile, go too. And they, they, I'm, I'm sure they all went, what? This is all in one teaching. I mean, he didn't like take a break and let's come back tomorrow. You know, I mean, if he would have done that. Now, that's enough for today. We're halfway through my sermon, but y'all come back tomorrow. I wonder if, if who would have come back, right? But they were kind of there and, and they were, you know, they, he was giving words of life. Um, how about this one? All right. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, we do that, right? Yeah, sure. We, we got that. We got that one down. And if that's not enough, let's just draw the line, at least on the Beatitude section, and say this. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Yeah, just be Just be perfect. Okay, uh, now here's my reason for mentioning those. There are those people who have said that the Bible is corrupted. Uh, uh, Muslims will tell you that. Well, well, that you, you're in particular, the New Testament uh, called the Injil has been corrupted. It's been changed. It's, it's, it's been modified. And, and whenever I get that question, I ask these questions. Well, when was it changed? And then I'll ask, uh, who changed it? And then what was their motive for changing it? And then do you have the originals on uh, as somewhere in maybe, uh, I don't know, <laughs> Saudi Arabia? Do you have the originals that we might compare what we have to your originals? Therefore, we know for sure that it's been corrupted. Okay. What evidence do you have that has been corrupted? And then here's my biggest question. If my New Testament has been corrupted, why did they leave those things in there? <laughs> Wouldn't you have taken that out, if anything? And see, to me, these statements disprove that it hasn't been corrupted. That it is indeed authentic. These are incredibly challenging statements that the Lord is making. By the way, if you happen to have any friends that tell you that, the, the New Testament has been corrupted. 
And what you have isn't original, or it's been tainted, or they've changed the name of God, or whatever. Uh, may I recommend this book, especially to Muslims. It's called, Is the Injil Corrupted? Is the Injil Corrupted? Uh, and this is by uh, Fuad Masri, who is a, a, a born-again Syrian. And so he speaks from a Middle Eastern perspective. But he sort of debunks this attitude that... Uh, in particular, Muslims have, that the New Testament has been corrupted. Uh, would anybody like this? Firsthand gets it. You got it. <laughs> Sister was like, I got that. I like to, you know, we like to give a little something away every once in a while. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And it's not just Muslims that believe that. You might hear that all the time. Well, how do you know that it hasn't been changed? Well, because things like this are still in there. <laughs> so... The Sermon on the Mount raises the bar and levels the playing field. As we spoke about and we've been speaking about, it gets to the heart of the issue. And this is the key. Folks, uh, we are not religious people. Religiosity is best described as man trying to be pleasing and acceptable to God. No matter what culture you go to, people are religious. Whatever their God is, they're trying to. There's something within man that wants to please some higher power, whether that's the sun or the moon or uh, n nature or Mother Earth or uh, money or uh, uh, whatever it is. There's something within mankind that reaches out to please God. That's religion. We are not religious people. Uh, we are people in relationship with Jesus. And there's a big difference between being religious and having a relationship. Because a relationship changes everything. Yeah, I, I grew up in a religious system. And I had a fear for God, but it wasn't a healthy fear. And I didn't fear God enough to change my life at all. See, that's the thing. See, there's a difference between, you know, fearing God and changing your life because you fear Him, and that's what religion will do. Religion will place fear in you so that you change because you feel like if you don't change that you'll be, you know, banished to hell for all eternity. But relationship uh, is something different in that you recognize that God loves you and He wants you to love Him back, and you have a relationship with Him, and then you begin to change not because of a wrong kind of fear of God, but because of a healthy fear and because of a love for Him. Those are different things. And so Jesus is, is expressing these things because He's speaking to a people who are very religious. And He's sort of breaking down all of those, all of those um, uh, uh, presupposed misconceptions that they have. He's breaking them down and He's getting to the heart of the issue because that's what God's after. He's after our hearts. He doesn't need our religious service. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our intellect. He, he doesn't need our hands and our feet. He can do all of this on his own. <laughs> right? He doesn't need us to sing. He doesn't need us to preach. He, does, he could just do it all on his own. He's, he's, he's capable more than... In fact, you, we can't even do anything for him unless he does it for us. Anything of any lasting value. And so we can drop all of the facade, we can drop all the religiosity, we can, we can drop the, the you know, Sunday morning is, my is checking in, you know, drop that. You know, we can, we can drop the legalism, we can drop the, oh, I've got to give or God won't be pleased with me. Well, you know, you should give as the Holy Spirit leads you. 
We can, we can drop all of that and just, and just enjoy our relationship with Him. That if we never told anyone else about Jesus, if we never read our Bible again, if we never did any works for Him at all from now to the time we pass away or the time that Jesus Christ returns, you know what? He, was, he would not love us any less than He loves us right now. And so we can just relax. We can just chill. But that love will cause us to do something. That love will cause... Listen, if you really love somebody, that love will compel you to do things for them. Not because you feel like you have to, but because you want to. And see, this is the issue of the Sermon on the Mount. God's getting to not, not just our intellect, uh, but He's getting to our want-tos. He's, he's even going to, later on in the Gospels, tell us that there's something that's coming that's going to be inside of you. Because listen, you can't just do it from the outside, but you need my help. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not going to temporarily fill you, but He's going to come and live in you. And because He lives in you, He's going to work on your want-tos. And it's going to be a struggle sometimes. <laughs> because you're going to want to, and the Holy Spirit's going to want to this way. And you're going to have to choose to yield to that. But because you love God, you do that. And no one's perfect, perfect in that. We don't get it right all the time, but we're working on it, right? We're working on it. Amen. Can you take a deep breath and just relax today? Okay, yes. There we go. Last week, <laughs> chapter 5, verse 39, one statement I just want to kind of share a little word on. Uh, but I say to you, don't resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I just want to make a little comment on that. Uh, 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 it's wrong to think what, what Jesus is saying here is that evil should never be resisted, Okay. Uh, it's wrong to think that what Jesus is saying here is that evil should never be resisted. Barclay says this, Jesus is here saying that the true Christian has learned to resent no insult and to seek retaliation for no slight. You know what? It's wrong to think that Jesus means a physical attack cannot be defended. And I just want to clarify that a little bit better. When Jesus speaks of someone who slaps you on the right cheek, it was culturally understood that that was a deep insult. Okay? Uh, not, a, not a physical attack. And for someone, because we're right-handed, dominated society, for someone to slap you on the right hand, that means they backhand you, okay? That's, that's the context there. So when Jesus was speaking this, that, that's what he was saying. Uh, one, one expositor said this, says, Jesus does not mean that if someone hits you across the right side of your head with a baseball bat, we should allow them to hit the left side also. <laughs> that's kind of what he's saying there, okay? Um... And so, uh, I also think it's uh, wrong to think that Jesus means that there's no place for punishment or retribution in society. There is. Jesus is here speaking of personal relationships and, 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 and not the functions of government in restraining evil. Okay? There is a responsibility that our government has. Romans 13, 1-4 tells us that God has given them that responsibility. That's why you're to pray for your uh, officials and pray for that government, that you could have peace in the land, that they would be God's restraining hand in society and that there would be freedom that the gospel could go forth. Okay? And so I must turn my cheek when I am personally insulted 
But the government has a responsibility of restraining evil, uh, uh, the evil man from physical assault. Make sense? Okay, chapter 6 and verse 1. Let's get, let's get into our motives again. Okay, let's get into our motives. Uh, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is not saying don't practice righteousness before men. Uh, He's saying don't practice righteousness before men so you can be seen by them. Yeah? Uh, If so, that is your reward. Your reward is the pat on the back and the applause of men. If your motivation is so that others will see you. Okay? And if you do that, if that's your motivation for practicing righteousness, then God says you get nothing in heaven. And God knows that. (laughs) God knows that. We don't always know it. And maybe it's not for us to judge. But God knows that. Okay? And He speaks about rewards. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Proverbs 11, 18 says, The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows in righteousness will have a sure reward. Proverbs 13, 13 says, He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. In chapter 5 and verse 12 on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says that those who would, uh, 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 would be persecuted should rejoice and be glad. For He said that their reward is great in heaven. Colossians 3 reminds us, slaves, you might want to put employee, obey your earthly masters, uh, employer, in everything you do. Try to please them all the time. Not just when they are watching you. Isn't that great? Yeah, Paul the Apostle, he's slick. He put that in there because he knows the hard hearts. Yeah, we're going to please. Wait a minute. Here comes the boss. Mm. I love that, that NC2A basketball uh, bracketology app or, that they have because it, it, you know, we're, you know, it March Madness. For those of you who know what that is, if not, just don't even worry about it. Uh, uh, but if you know what that is, you know that app because there's a, there's a toggle on there that clicks over to a spreadsheet. <laughs> it's great. You know, like, they call it, call it a boss click or something. You know. Oop, here. It, it, it's meaningless, but it's fun. You see, some of you guys, you, got, you need to repent right now. You all are like, oh, man. Not when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely, but here's why. Of your, because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Okay? Hebrews 11.6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. You know, also as Christians, speaking of rewards, we've got crowns coming our way. How fun is that? Now, when God promises you a crown, that, that's, that's, that's good stuff, right? You know, that's a good, that's a good gift. Um, uh, those who we've ministered to, according to Paul, are a crown of rejoicing. Or in Philippians, uh, they're a, a joy or a crown. Uh, we have the crown of righteousness that Paul told Timothy for our service to the Lord. And if we endure, uh, we'll receive a crown of life. And Peter says... The crown of glory. 
And Paul said in 1 Corinthians that these crowns are incorruptible and that they'll last for eternity. I mean, how cool is that? That, that when we, when, one day when we go to be with him, we'll be rewarded for all that we do and we'll have crowns. And you know, some people have more crowns than others, right? Some may have just a little, little bling. Some will have a whole lot of, you know, go, jewelry or I don't know, a crown. And, and what are we going to do with those crowns? What are we going to do? We're going to walk around and we'll see who did what. No, I think we're going to willingly cast those crowns at the feet of Jesus as an act of worship because he's the only star of the kingdom. He's the only king of the kingdom. The old hymn says, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awaken my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. How fun will that be? We'll take all that boatload of, of crowns and, and all those things that, that, that he gives us and we'll give them all back to him. But I guess the bigger question is this, do we crown him king in every, in every area of our lives right now? Do we crown him as king in every area of our lives right now? Well, the Lord is going to move into some, some practical application here because the Sermon on the Mount is that. It's practical. He's going to talk about giving, prayer, and fasting. Giving, prayer, and fasting and the motivation behind them. Now, these spiritual disciplines were firmly ingrained in the lives of the people that Jesus is speaking to. In fact, speaking of Islam, you know, they have five pillars of Islam. And, and three of them are those. And then they've added uh, the journey to Mecca uh, that you're supposed to do if you can do it. And the reciting of the creed. You have to recite that. Those are the five pillars. And so, first giving. Chapter 6, verse 2 through 4. When therefore you give alms, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Okay, so first he says, when you give alms. And so the expectation is that these people were giving alms. They understood that that was a part of their religious duty. And he uses alms, which, which more so had to do with those who were in need. You know, the widows and the orphans, uh, those who were strangers in the land. And so he speaks to not just our giving to the Lord, maybe in tithes and in offerings, but he speaks to the alms. That is giving to those who were in need. And he says, when you give. And so the expectation is, is that the people of God will be a people who will be ministering to the poor who will be ministering to the poor, okay, in some capacity. And, and he says this, he goes, when you do that, keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. Don't, uh, don't sound the trumpet before, before you as the hypocrites do. You know, keep it down because there are those who are giving of alms and they were making sure that everybody knew that they were giving. They wanted the applause of men. Uh, in the older Greek, hypocrites 
Our word hypocrite was an actor, but by the first century, the term was used of those who play roles to see the world as their stage, Carson says. Trapp says this, there was a, uh, uh, his expression was, oh, let us rather seek to be good than seem to be so. Let us rather seek to be good than seem to be so. Now, you've maybe heard this expression of someone may have said, I don't want to go to your church because your church is full of hypocrites. And you might say something like this, you know what? That's right, and one more hypocrite ain't going to matter. Now, come on. Come on. <laughs> Join the crowd. But are we hypocrites, though? And the fact that we might have some of that spirit within us doesn't let us off the hook. Doesn't let us off the hook when the Holy Spirit convicts us. The Lord says, you know what? Enjoy the sound of the applause. Enjoy it because that's all you get. You get no reward. Jesus said that there would be a day of judgment where many people will come to Him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and this and this and this? And you, know what? you know what He would say to them? He would say, you know, sorry, I never knew you. Why? First of all, because you did it for the wrong motive. And second of all, because you never took the time to know me. And that tells me that all of our good deeds that are done apart from Christ, you know, good deeds are great. That's fine. That's good. That's good that, that good, that there are entire 501c3 organization, nonprofit organizations that are doing a lot of good deeds in a lot of really destitute areas. But if it's not done in the name of Jesus, it's ultimately done for some sort of selfish reason. It's done because of what it makes you feel like. It's done because of the pat on the back. It's done because of the applause of men and women. It's done so that your name could be... I mean, I don't know. I'm not questioning anyone's heart. I'm just saying if it's not ultimately done for Jesus, it's ultimately done for some selfish reason. May we not be a people who give hypocritically the Lord says they have their reward in full and that technically meant in the business world in those days to be paid in full that's it that's everything and then the Lord says don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing I mean what does that mean I mean we're to when we give alls we're to be so secretive that it's like you know hey what did you just do I don't know you know I mean you did you just give away something? Don't worry about it. I mean, it, but he's saying that it should just be secretive. It should be secretive. Spurgeon said this, Keep the thing so secret that even you yourself are hardly aware that you're doing anything at all praiseworthy. Let God be present and you will have enough of an audience. That's good. Then he says, Do it in secret. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Come on. Isn't that the best way to give alms and offerings? Isn't that the best way to do it, to give it in secret where no one else knows? And doesn't it, like, doesn't it make you feel really good? But isn't there also that little edge that wants to tell, you want to tell somebody? Or you maybe hope somebody saw? And he goes, don't worry about that. Do it secretly. You know what? And if someone finds out, does that mean you lose your reward? No. No. In the book of Acts, they were, they were bringing their offerings and laying them at the disciples' feet, and everyone could see it. That was not secretly. 
Hey, Ananias and Sapphira, they gave, and they gave with the wrong motive and lost their life because of it. Because if we give for our own glory, it doesn't matter if no one finds out. We get nothing from the Lord. But if we give for the glory of the Lord, it doesn't matter who finds out because our reward will, will remain. It doesn't matter if we give with the right motive. So when you give, which is the expectation, we should be giving alms to the poor, those that are in need. Okay, uh, Just to let you know, there's some things. Christmas is coming up. We're planning some giveaway things. We're planning some things that we're going to do within our own body. Some things we're going to do uh, in Mexico. Well, those things are in the works. So what are we going to be doing? We're going to be giving to those that are in need. There's a relationship with a church that we've established in Mexico that says this to us, and I love their heart. They said, you know what? We, we have enough. We have plenty. But we've started this ministry in this particular community, and we want to be a blessing to them. So don't come and give to us. Come and give to them. And we say, amen. That's it. That's it. You got it, guys. You got it. You know, they're not third world, this particular church. You know, they might be second world. You might consider them that. But they got the idea that, you know, God's blessed us. So we want to be a blessing. Yeah. So keep it quiet. Keep it in secret. And remember who's watching. Remember who's watching. The Lord says, your father who sees in secret will repay you. And some translations say openly. <laughs> okay? Now, don't try to pull the old switcheroo and think, Lord, so if I give a whole lot, that means I get a whole lot? Okay, that's the wrong motive. God knows that because we'll do that. Well, if I give this, come on, Lord, where's the payback? No, it doesn't quite work like that. The God who sees all things will take notice of your giving. You gave secretly. Nobody knew. God knows. He will repay you. Even if it doesn't seem like He will. Even if you don't feel like He's seeing these things. See, when you, when you give sacrificially, no matter how you give it, God takes note of it. Man doesn't always. Man doesn't always take note of it. Man doesn't always appreciate it. But God does. So that's your audience, and that's why you do it. I'll tell couples sometimes, maybe they're struggling in their marriage, and, and they'll say, well, I do this for him, and I do that for him, or I do that for her, and she never this, and it's always... And I say, well, who are you doing it for? Now get your eyes off of her and do it as unto the Lord, and it doesn't matter if they recognize, oh, it's nice to get a pat on the back and add a boy or add a girl every once in a while, but we got to recognize that we may not always get that. And so we do what is unto the Lord. And therefore, it doesn't matter if they reward or if they pay back or if they say, out a girl or out a boy, because God will be doing that in heaven. And that's our audience, really. That's our audience. And that's how we can give sacrificially. He doesn't miss a thing. And you'll be rewarded for it. You'll be rewarded for it. Remember the widow who came to the temple and Jesus and the disciples were just chilling? kicking back. I don't know why I'm leaning. That's just, that's just how I picture it. I, that's probably what I'd be doing. I'd probably be like, you know, gangster lean. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, he was just, they were watching. They were just, <laughs> they were just watching the people come and giving and, and, and a widow came with two mites. And what did Jesus do? He goes, hey, 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 hey. Look at that right there. Look, look, 
watch, watch this. And everybody else was giving, and he was taking note of that. But he took special note of that widow who gave all she had. And you know what? She had no idea the Lord of the harvest was watching her. She had no idea. Boy, I wonder how blessed she was after that. We don't know. We don't know. Okay? And I think that the greatest things that we'll ever do for the Lord, some of the greatest things that we'll ever do for the Lord are things that nobody knows about. I think we should, I think we should prayerfully, creatively find ways to bless other people led by God's Spirit so that nobody would know. I mean, come on. What if, what if, what if, heard about a gentleman at another church who, you know, he, he's a wealthy man who, who was, was coming into church and, 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 and a single mom is struggling in and she's got a beater, man. I remember she's like, pop, 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 and it's like, well, and her kids, are, you know, she's trying to get them and she's a single mom. Her, her car is a hoopty, right? And he's like, oh my gosh. And, you know, he goes someplace and he buys her a car and he brings it to the church. Okay? Now, I don't know if he did it secretly and I probably handed her the keys and the paperwork, but I mean, you know, just to bless people like that. I mean, to say, hey, you know what? Here. You know, God just put this on my heart. Or to do it anonymously. And don't even bother to tell anybody. Don't even claim it for your taxes as an exemption <laughs> or write off. <laughs> I don't care. Wow. Uh, God takes note of that. Okay. Um, so that's how we should be giving. And then he talks about prayer. All right. And um, verse 5 through 8, um, Jesus again assumes that, his, that his, his people, his disciples, would be giving. And then he assumes that they would be praying. Now, now, Tim Hawkins has become my favorite Christian comedian. I don't know about you. You might be kind of religious and think there's no place for laughter in the church, but that's all right. But I love Tim Hawkins, and so you, you, I want to show you this little video clip uh, that, that he has, and it's about, uh, it's about kind of about prayer, and he's got some hilarious ones. But I just wanted to show you this because it, it speaks to prayer. Go ahead, guys, if you'll roll this video clip right here. <laughs> the best, though, is the way people... Where they pray over food. That's the funniest. Where we pray over food. We don't know why we say it. You ever heard this one? Lord, bless this food and the hands that prepared it. The hands that prepared it. Why not the whole body? No. Just the hands. Jurassic Park. <laughs> Best, I love this one over food. Sometimes we pray over food and ask God to make up for our bad choices when we eat. That's funny. <laughs> what is Lord bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies? Lord bless this bag of Cheetos. And this Jumbo Dr. Pepper Lord somehow make this nourish us in some way. 
I don't know how you're going to do it, Father, but we just trust in you now. Father, change the molecular structure of this food. This complete trash we're about to shove in our gullet. Change the Cheeto into a carrot stick on the way down. Spirit of low carb, rain down on me now! I pray a hedge of protection around my pancreas, Lord! Right now! Intervene! Oh. Oh, that's great. Tim Hawkins. Funny. Oh. Verse 5 through 8. Matthew 6, verse 5 through 8. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have uh, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you, will pay you, repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so first, Jesus assumes that His people would be praying. Secondly, don't pray like the hypocrites who pray to be seen by men. Don't purposefully position yourself that others will see or hear and be amazed at how holy you are. In verse 5, he says, but, but you, and that word's plural, when you pray, go into your, uh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 5, but you, when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites. That's plural. And then in verse 6, he says, but you, and this is a singular uh, word, uh, pronoun, I guess, uh, when you <clears throat> pray, go into your inner room to emphasize private communication with the Lord. Uh, the word for room that is used there is uh, a word that was used for a storeroom where treasures are kept. So he's saying, you know, go into that, that quiet place, that, that place where treasures could be awaiting you as well in prayer. Um, now, how do you know that you might be, have a little bit of hypocrisy in your prayers? Maybe just how, how do you know that? Well, one way is that if you pray differently in private than you do in public. If you pray differently in private than you do in public, you might have a little flavor of hypocrisy in your prayers. Okay? He says to pray in secret. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray in public, as the early church so often did. Because the issue is not where you pray, but why you pray. Because if, 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 uh, the goal of the Lord is, is to the heart of the issue. And remember, here's a religious group of people that were amazed by the prayers of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, the, and, and, and he says, no, go in your... See, that's what the Lord's after. He, he's after that private communion. Joseph talked about that this morning, didn't he? About just, just the Lord wanting him to sit. See, that's it. That, that treasure house, that storeroom where we meet with the Lord. Okay, don't pray with vain repetitions. 
Rabbi Levi said, whoever is long in prayer is heard. Another ancient saying was, whenever the righteous make their prayer long, their prayer is heard, Barclay says. There was a famous Jewish prayer that began like this, blessed, praised, and glorified, exalted, and honored, magnified, and lauded be the name of the Holy One. <laughs> well, it's okay, but all right. You know, if, if someone opened up a prayer session like that, you'd probably go like, oh, this guy's a prayer guy. Listen to all those words he used. Well, not necessarily. You know, many religions pray long prayers, right? Uh, I grew up in a religious system. Uh, we were Catholic, and sort of. And uh, uh, I was an altar boy, by the way. That was kind of interesting. I was. And uh, I wanted to be a priest one day. I told my mom. I said, Mom, I think I want to be a priest. Isn't that funny? I remember that. And she goes, well, son, if you become a priest, you can never get married. I said, what? Well, I'm not going to become a priest. I'll drive a tank instead because my dad was in the army. And when you're in the army, you want to drive a tank or just shoot something or whatever. So I ended up not doing that Could you see me inside of a tank. I, my head would be sticking out of the top, right? <laughs> Come on, can we pull over? Why? I got to stretch my knees and I can't take it anymore. Uh -uh. And so I recall well, one time um, going to confession, and um, I, I couldn't recall any particular sin that I had done, so uh, the man on the other side, you know, I, I made something up. I lied in the confession booth. Is that not good? That's crazy. I mean, I just, you know, he said, Mom said, you got to go to confession, boy. I said, okay. And the guy says, well, what have you done wrong? I, uh, oh, I stole my sister's bike. How about that? What, what, is, that is that all right? I mean, I didn't know. I was a kid. I thought, you got to say something. Like, what if you said, well, you know, you know, Father, I haven't sinned at all. What's up? You know, what? You know, I don't know. I just figured just say something and get out of there. And, and I did. And he said, say, five Hail Mary, uh, uh, five Our Fathers and two Hail Marys. And I go, okay. And I remember I went out to the sanctuary and kind of the, knelt down, and I prayed my first Our Father. And then I prayed my second and I'm just a kid, and I thought, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, Lord, don't you get it the first time? Why do I have to say it like four times? And that's religiosity. That's religiosity, okay? They're not relationship, okay? Other religions do it. First Kings chapter 18, uh, the prophets of, of Baal uh, prayed, uh, Baal, answer us for half a day. He never did. Acts chapter 19, there's an angry mob that's crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And they cried out for two hours yeah, no, to no answer. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Keep your finger there. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Speaking of repetition in prayer, it says this, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should uh, always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. Verse 4, the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. <laughs> That's good. Verse 6, then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? 
Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly, but when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? See, it turns out that repetition in prayer is okay, just not vain repetition. Okay? Repetition in prayer is okay, just not vain repetition. Mindless repeating the same thing over, that's, that's not okay. I mean, we would not do that with anyone else in our communication with people, you know. Uh, so, uh, this woman had to overcome the judge's reluctance to help. And sometimes I think we feel that we uh, must do the same when we're praying. We must overcome God's reluctance to our persistence. But you know what? Jesus is not saying that men always ought to pray and not lose heart because God is reluctant. But because He isn't, that's our encouragement for prayer. He's not reluctant, so be persistent. Go ahead. Some would say, once you pray a prayer, you should never repeat it again. I disagree with that. I totally, oh, where's your faith if you have to say it again? Well, according to what I read, man, there's a whole lot of repetition going on. Even Jesus prayed things uh, more than once, okay? Okay, maybe uh, we have this uh, reluctance because we see God's delays. And the delays in prayer are not needed to change God, but it's because God wants to do something in us. So persistence in prayer brings a transforming element into our lives and builds into us the very character and nature of God. That's what it does. Now, let me just finish with chapter 6 and verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Okay, if you're a parent, you might get this. You know, there are certain things that you can almost say, you know what, I bet you they're going to ask this. And they do, and you already knew it, right? How much more our Heavenly Father, who already knows our need. See, we're not praying to educate God to the situation. He already knows. So then someone would say, well, then if He already knows, why bother praying then? Great question. Because when we pray, we acknowledge our dependence upon Him. Lord, I need you in this. You, you, you're all powerful, God. <clears throat> Only you can change this, God. And that's how we communicate to him. Secondly, by prayer. And whether that's standing up and walking around and screaming or whether that's quietly meditating and praying before him, however you communicate with him, communicate with him. But you know what? Thirdly, it's participation. Why bother to pray if he already knows what we're going to ask you know why? Because he wants us to participate. What a great honor. And you know, there are things that don't happen, James says, in our lives because we don't pray. And it's like the Lord might be saying, you know, if you would just pray about this, and if you would be, be you know, keep on praying about it, you might see some change. But what happens is we, we grow faint and we lose heart because we've been praying for this and nothing's happening and we just kind of forget and the Lord would say to you today, if you're, if you're praying for something and you've, you've grown weary, how I many of you know what it is to grow weary in prayer? I think probably a whole lot of you do. You grow weary. And the Lord would say, you keep on praying. You keep on praying. Because you don't know what God's up to. Just because you don't see a change doesn't mean God isn't doing something. 
And you know what? You might be the only person praying for someone or praying for some situation. That's like some of you who came to know the Lord. It was one person who reached out to you and one person who God put it in their heart to pray for you and to bring you into fellowship and to, to begin to tell you about what Jesus was all about. And, and, and you know what? Keep on praying. Keep on praying. And even if you don't see results, you keep on praying. And don't stop praying. Don't stop. It's powerful. You know what? That's what God wants, and He wants our hearts. And, 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 and you know what? He loves it when we talk to Him. It blesses His heart. No, no. It, 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 forget about what it does for you, because that's cool. But it blesses His heart when we commune with Him. It brings him joy. Yeah, it, 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 and, and, you know, he's all ears. I was um, sharing Christ with someone recently, and I just felt compelled to say a word or two. Again, it was at Starbucks, and he was on the phone, sounded like he was having a difficult conversation. I wasn't trying to hear, but you can't help but hear it. That's why I love that place. <laughs> you know, and I'm not a coffee drinker either. That's funny, you know. I'm like the worst guy to be, you don't want to be behind me at Starbucks. Because it's like, you know, people want to get their coffee and get out of there. I'm like, okay, do you have something? Okay, I don't, I don't want coffee. Do you have like a tea with a, what about this? And can I get that decaffeinated? And can you, and, and they're like, man, hurry up, dude. I'm like, oh gosh, there's, there's, you just need to have a decaf something. Da, da, da. Anyway, and this gentleman was having a tough conversation with someone. And I said, hey, man, I don't know if you, if you, I don't know what I said. If you have, if you have, if you know anything about the Lord or if you have know anything about God or I said something and he says, he goes, no, you know what? No, not interested. Thanks. And I said, oh, okay. You know, that's fine. And, and then as, as he walked back in to get his haircut, he said, hey man, uh, no disrespect, you know, but, but in fact, from time to time, I might even say something to him. And I said, buddy, you say something to him because he's all ears. He's waiting for you. Yeah? With that, let's pray. We're going to take our missions offering next week. And so, um, just so the ushers would know that. Lord, help us to take these words to heart. It might mean something different for, um, for different folks in here. I just want to say thank you for letting us participate in this thing. I, I, I feel convicted whenever I talk about prayer because I know I don't really pray enough, and I'm sure there's some folks here that might feel the same. So, Lord, we ask for strength that we would commune with you through prayer, through worship, throughout our day. When, uh, when a tough task comes our way, that our first reaction would be to pray. Yeah, and that it wouldn't be the last thing we do, but it would be the first thing we do. That we'd be quick to pray. And that we recognize that prayer time isn't limited to um, 15, 20, 30 minutes, an hour in the morning. That it's an all-day thing. 
just like marriage isn't limited to an hour, 30 minutes, half a day. It's, it's an, it's an, it's an all-day life companionship. And may we recognize that. And we thank you for that. And we pray, God, that you would strengthen your people. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, the name that's above all names. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right. Lord bless you guys. Um, uh, please, uh, uh, if you have a prayer request or a prayer need, we would love you to come forward and receive prayer. And also, um, we're getting down to crunch time on making a decision regarding our building. And I want you to keep that in prayer. Uh, we're looking at the option of renewing our lease here or moving on to a high school, and we have not come to a clear on that, but it's, it might be this week, so I want you to keep on praying uh, that uh, we have clear direction and um, uh, the Lord will lead us and guide us in that. So we need your prayers in that, okay? You have any questions or anything like that or about the ministry in general? You know what? Uh, we're here to answer those, but if our prayer team can come on up, and uh, we'll uh, pray with you if you need it. God bless you guys.